Beyond the Wrench with Jay Gannon from Find the Wrench. Welcome back to Beyond the Wrench. Happy to have you joining us again. My name is Jay Gannon and I am your host. Uh, quick shout out to all of you listening and to everybody that supports this podcast. It's grown probably a lot bigger than I ever expected it to be, and that doesn't happen without all of you. So I appreciate the continued uh, support, uh, the people sharing the podcast with their friends. It really, really means a lot to us, and and, uh, the show wouldn't be what it is without all of you out there. So with that being said, let's get things kicked off with the winner of the higher or lower game in our Wrenchway app from last week. The winner was Hannah Boker with a high score of 34. Congratulations, Hannah. With that, she wins a $100 Amazon gift card. She also had a chance to flip the Queen of Hearts on our Queen of Hearts game. Unfortunately, she did not do that, so the pot increases yet again to $800. Uh, you can see kind of how that pot quickly uh quickly catches up it almost snowballs and it feels like before you know it it's at two grand so keep playing keep giving us those answers to those challenges it really really does help us in really understanding what it is that you want to hear on the podcast what kind of information you want us to share with shops and and really gets the perspective of technicians from a collective so that we're able to give that back to industry and hopefully create a better industry as a result uh, also want to give a, a special shout out to our friends at Diesel Laptops. I say it all the time, but Diesel Laptops has just been an incredible supporter of Wrenchway Insiders, of the podcast, and we we really, really appreciate them. They're a great company, and I'd encourage you to check them out. One of the last uh, things that I want to talk about before we move on to the actual podcast is just to share with you a little bit, a little bit about what we do at Wrenchway. And Really, what we do at Wrenchway is help technicians find great places to work. If you think your shop is a top shop, we want to hear from you. Wrenchway Top Shop pages are like resumes for shops. They share all of the details technicians want to know about before they apply, such as compensation, photos, videos of the service areas, really the the places that they care about, what they want to see. The videos, and, and really, we we dive a lot into video with these pages, and this is something that we keep growing, but we do videos with technicians and managers, and what this does is really help tell your story about the personalities that are in the shop, what you care about, what kind of person's going to fit in there, and helps you kind of explain some things that maybe you can't in text. So that's been a really, really cool feature. You're also able to share facts on the work environment. You're able to talk about career development and what you can do for their career to help them grow. And really the hiring process, you know, what all is a person going to have to go through to get a job? So if you want to attract more technicians to your shop, I would highly encourage you to become a Wrenchway Top Shop. You can visit Wrenchway.com to contact us and learn more. We'll put the link in the show notes so you can easily go out there and check it out. But definitely check it out. I think it can be a really, really good piece of your recruiting strategy, your retention strategy, and really shift the way you think about marketing to technicians. As for this week's episode, our guest is Robert Auer from UPS. Robert manages a territory in Florida for UPS, so he has a uh, kind of a a fleet manager role and covers a a fairly large part of, of Florida. And I really enjoyed our conversation this week. We got to talk about a number of different things, but 
Some of the things that really stuck out to me were how he treats people, what his recruiting strategy is in general. I think what you'd be surprised with is that they don't have a lot of vacancy, right? They don't have a lot of turnover. When somebody comes to UPS, they tend to stick around for a little bit. And I think it's easy to say their 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 pay and benefits really help drive that. But Robert does a, a really, really good job in this podcast of being able to break down different ways that you can do it on your own and ways that you can do it in your organization. And so he was a really, really good person to talk to about this topic. And I look forward to having you all be able to listen into all of his insight and, and just overall a really smart person. So enjoy the show and we'll talk to you next week. Well, thanks for joining us today. We've got Robert Auer from UPS joining us to talk about all things shop management. Robert's got a really, really intriguing background and somebody that I just really hit it off with in our first conversation. I, I've really enjoyed talking to him and I think all of our audience will enjoy hearing him talk today. So how are you doing, Robert? Pretty well, sir. Thank you. Good. So uh, I got to hear your story ahead of time and, and some of your upbringing and what led you to where you're at. And so I, maybe before we get into the actual story, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do at UPS? Okay. So at UPS, I, we can start at the beginning or I can start more most currently, but currently I'm the fleet manager for the North Florida area for the automotive section. All right. And so it's a, it's a pretty... Pretty awesome role, and and we've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about UPS throughout this through our discussions. But let, let's talk about the story of how you got there. You've got a, a cool background, and let's start with the early days. What what got you into this crazy industry to start with? Okay, so from the beginning, you know, I ended up in a high school shop class. So starting in uh, ninth grade, I was enrolled in an automotive program at my local, you know, the town I grew up in and had a really cool shop teacher there that was a former ASC master tech. You know, he had done a lot of things and then decided he wanted to be a teacher. And so I was kind of mentored under him. So it was, it was a pretty cool experience. He, you know, before I even got out of high school, before I was 18, I got a job at Sears, changing tires, starters, stuff like that. Once I turned 18, again, I was still in high school. He got me a job at the local Ford and, you know, I started out after school cleaning the floor, emptying trash, things of that nature. Uh, and then when I got done with that, then I was allowed to work on a car. Right. And so continued that, graduated high school and then Ford hired me uh, full time. Started out flat rate, you know, probably back in those days, I want to say it was about 12 or $13 an hour. I mean, it was, a, and just, you know, they put me through a ton of Ford training, ASCs, all that, and kind of worked my way up. Eventually, you know, that was many, many years, but eventually left Ford, went to a UPS, started up floor on UPS as a uh, package car mechanic, working night. Eventually went to working on tractors uh, a couple years, and then uh, eventually went into supervision, and then, you know, was successful at that. And then now, uh, I'm a fleet manager, you know, where I pretty much run about half the state per se. It's a pretty big operation. So yeah, super excited to be here. Yeah. And it's such a cool thing in that. And this is where I think the importance of high school programs are so big in, in our industry, right? And, you know, if it's not for that one teacher or that one program, there's a chance you're just not even in this industry whatsoever, right? Without a doubt. Uh, without a doubt. He was he was very good to us. You know, there was we had kids in class. There were some that were your typical. They're just in there to get an easy A because it's an elective, you know, and maybe it's an easy grade to get. But there was probably 
I want to say there's about five or six of us between that, that couple year period that he kind of recognized that we have some talent and real desire. And he just helped foster that, you know, so we weren't just like changing lawnmower blades. We were working on like real people's cars, doing brakes, learning how to use an alignment machine, learning how to build motors, learning how to set timing, set points, dwell, you know, I mean, you name it. He like actually taught us stuff that was usable. And so, but yeah, without him, I have no idea where I would have been. You know, he was able to awaken a, a side of me that I didn't know that I really enjoyed, you know. Man, that's cool. Uh, like that's, yep. that's what it's all about right there. I mean, being able to get somebody into the industry, expose them to things that are, you know, it, it's not just changing oil, right? Or getting kind of shoved back where like, I think, for for those people listening out there, that is really really important to get some get some young people some experience, and especially as technician technology evolves, being able to show them this technology and and expose them to that, so that they they see that there's more than just uh, just changing tires and maybe doing alignments or you know whatever it is. So kudos to your your high school program and and to that teacher in general. I think that's a that's a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. So with with managing your fleets, give us an idea of what all goes on in your shops. What what all are you working on? UPS is obviously a a gigantic company, and managing a fleet, I imagine you're you're kind of you're working on a number of different things. Yes. So just to kind of break down my area for you, so in, in North Florida, I have roughly about seven hundred and fifty package cars. So a package car is a little is the brown vehicles you see delivering in your neighbor neighborhoods and stuff. So we call them cars. So I have about seven hundred and fifty of those. I run about three hundred and fifty of the tractors. And then of course all these support equipment that goes with all of this, right? So as far as the maintenance on the vehicles, um we pretty much do everything. People don't realize it, you know, it's just you see that brown truck driving down the road. <laughs> you don't realize what all we do. But the only things, the easiest thing to tell you is what we don't do, which is we don't do paint and body, right? So we'll touch up paint or something like that, but we don't do fiberglass repairs or actual body repairs. We don't rebuild engines and we don't rebuild transmit. Anything else that goes wrong with that vehicle, 100% we do. In a fleet environment, I don't really have time to let one of my guys spend a week rebuilding an engine. You know, so that's something that I outsource or, you know, like on a tractor, if it's a package car, you know, we just, we buy long blocks and we just throw them in. So, but there's a lot that goes to keeping them on the road. You know, you got the bulkhead doors, you've got roll up doors in the back, you know, you got stuff that the traditional automotive world, like in your dealerships and your light repair facilities, they don't necessarily see that our guys see, but really anything, any repair needed, we do. So we're very, very busy. How how was the transition going from, you know, you, you were in a Ford dealership and you ended up working on tractors, right? Like, so how, right. how, how was that evolution and were there things that you took from the automotive side that you were able to apply to that side? Uh, yes, because, you know, at Ford, you know, we had the, uh, the first program, right? Fix it right the first time. Um, so coming out of a dealership, that's, that's like a big deal. You know, uh, a flat rate uh, technician, if you don't repair something right, you get to fix it for free the next time, right? That's the world I came out of. So I like to think that I was able to get very, very skilled and very, very. So moving into UPS, everything's hourly. You're not necessarily in that environment. And it's harder to judge repair times on commercial vehicles that a lot of the stuff's custom or one-off, things of that nature. But I like to think that that attention to detail I brought um, with me and that helped me uh, a ton um, to learn how to run a fleet because it's different running a fleet, you know, where you have 30 cars or 40 cars that are assigned to you. And uh, it's, it's, 
it's your responsibility to take care of that truck, you know, from cradle to grave. So yeah. transitioning over to the tractor side, that was kind of like scary at first a little bit for me because I came out of the, the car and truck world, you know, so moving into the class eight trucks, air brakes, things of that nature. But just really, I got exposed to it dealing with it on a uh, outbound, you know, so trailers, tractors that are trying to get off the yard because they got, you know, run. That's kind of how I started getting my exposure. And then eventually I just kind of jumped head in, you know, and just, and just went for it. Found it very, very interesting that the, you know, technology back in the day, you know, a diesel mechanic, if you want to call it that, maybe you dealt with injector pumps or you dealt with just the basic systems. Well, today's diesels, and of course we have natural gas here, so we're dealing with alternative fuels. So today's equipment is far more technical, which I really enjoy that side. Yeah. How how have you, how's the transition been to natural gas? I mean, in terms of like, what do you see as far as maintenance schedules and, and just overall effectiveness of the natural gas uh, vehicle. So I was at, I was still on the floor when we first got them. So I have firsthand experience with working on them. And then I can tell you from my guy's standpoint, we love them. You know, there was a transition trying to, because it was brand new technology. So here we have the liquefied natural gas. And so to us, this was brand new. Like this was like rocket science. You know what I mean? Like how, do, how does this even work? <laughs> so there was a, a learning curve there through trial and error. I mean, of course we got training from Cummins. They came down, we got training from UPS corporate, right? So we had support. We, we weren't going into it blindly. But, you know, learning a new platform and uh, cause and effect, those sorts, sort of situations, it was different, but it was fun. Maintaining them is not that bad because they're very, very quiet. And like compared to a diesel engine's loud, I mean, you can stand right, right next to a uh, LNG running and it's very quiet. Um, it's very clean. So you stay cleaner. The truck stays cleaner. The maintenance schedules are a little bit higher because it's a gasoline engine. You're doing spark plugs. You're doing more often. You're doing oil changes more frequently. The engine runs at a little bit higher temperature because you don't have the lubrication that's in a diesel engine into that cylinder. So it's a little bit higher temperature. So that kind of increases the duty cycle a little bit. But I like to feel like we have a mastered now and that we have a pretty good program. Out of the 340 tractors that I have, I want to say about 165 of them are the LNG tractors. So we're, we're neck deep in them. That's that's great. And how does that impact like the electrification of the fleet? Like obviously that's kind of the buzzword right now and and right. I think there's a lot of a lot of momentum behind that, but is the the LNG kind of the does that in lieu of electric vehicles or is it kind of a combo working together that kind of thing? Well, so it was a precursor. You know, obviously a natural gas is, you know, the it, what we hear is the unlimited supply, right? It burns very, very clean and clear, you know, so I, I feel like the uh, the natural gas was kind of a precursor. I know that UPS at, at the corporate level is testing electrification and they're looking at all those kinds of options. So we are certainly not going to be left behind in that field. Currently, I don't have any electric tractors. We do have a few electric package cars that, you know, first generation ones that we've been playing with. And the company is very serious about the alternative for sure. And so they're trying to see what's going to work best in our fleet environments, right? So like I got LNG here in Jacksonville, but a lot of the surrounding larger areas. So like down in Orlando, they've got a bunch of CNG and, you know, up in Tifton, they got CNG. So there's some different areas that are running CNG and having good success. So UPS is kind of dipping their toes in every area. And we're going to see what's going to work best for obviously the environment and then also as a fleet. That's a smart play. I mean, that that's a, a smart play in general, being able to kind of see all the different technologies and how you know reliable they are and just kind of getting a feel for everything because I mean that's what makes you the expert on it is just being able to to see a lot of things and and see the impact it has that's that's 
a pretty cool part of, of that. Kind of segueing into some of the tech, technician stuff, right? And this is uh, something that we had a pretty lengthy conversation on ahead of our podcast here. Uh, obviously, there's a hurt for technicians in the industry. And something in talking to you that I thought was just awesome was was your approach and, and really how you look at technicians in general from the standpoint of being able to put together a plan being able to proactively get people in place, maybe even before you need them. And I think that's such a, a, a big piece that that a lot of shops miss out on. So I want to talk about that a little bit. And maybe I'll start with why you do it. Like, what? Why are you kind of working ahead of where maybe the the potential need would be? And, and when I say that, being able to maybe predict or... or um, being able to just be on top of it, I think that's that's maybe the best way to say it is just how, how do you like what drives you to do that? So I guess to start would be typically with with UPS because of our pay and our benefits and the the, the things that we have to offer as a company, typically people don't leave. You, this is a, this is kind of one of those lifetime jobs. You know, when, when a guy comes on the floor with us, you know, we're looking at making a 20, 25, 30 year investment into this individual people, people choose not to leave the company because of, you know, many, many areas, but obviously the way we treat them and then also the pay, the benefits, things of that nature. Right. So because of that, I'm able to forecast a little bit better. I don't have to worry about bill quitting tomorrow, right? Because Bill's very happy and Bill intends to be here for 20 more years, right? So I'm able to kind of forecast that way a little bit. And then when growth is coming and I know that I'm going to be needing uh, technicians, like in Jacksonville, we've experienced a lot of growth over the last several years. I'm always building resumes, right? Or I shouldn't say building, but collecting. So I, I'm constantly collecting resumes from current employees, contacts that I make in the industry, things of that nature. And I have a resume file. I put notes on them you know, as far as what I think about the individual. And then when I have an opening, I go back to that resume file and I just start filtering through and making phone calls. And, you know, because a, a lot of these people, if their resume came to me, it means that um, they're interested in coming to work here. Right. Yeah. And UPS, most of our work, to be honest with you, you know, these for these vehicles to work to run during the day, we're working on them at night. And so that's not necessarily for everybody either. So, you know, yeah, I just like I like to constantly be building those resumes, constantly be looking towards the future of where because I got a, a lot of shops. It's not just Jacksonville, but I got a lot of buildings. Right. Yeah. So I'm constantly looking on if a need arises somewhere, how will I fill that? You know, it's kind of a, just trying to be a proactive in, in my hiring. I like to be very, very selective if I can and hire only the best, because, again, I'm not looking at hiring this guy to only work for me or, or, or lady, but I'm not hiring this guy or lady to only work for me a year. I'm looking for this person to be here for 15, 20, 25 years. So, you know, we want to make sure it's a good fit for them as well as a good fit for us. You, you said a couple things there that absolutely stick out to me. The first being the stability in the shop to start with, right? That allows you to be able to do the forecasting and being able to look out with confidence and know that, hey, you know what? I, I'm I'm really confident with my current staff that's here. Uh, like they're not going anywhere because I treat them so well that they're just they'd be dumb to leave. Like this this is you know this is a really this is a destination spot for people. So you know creating that environment of stability up front allows you to be able to go out and accurately forecast. I think a lot of shops that, that I see anyways are, you know, 
they think they're being able to put a forecast or a plan out, but their backyard's not taken care of yet. They're not, (laughs) there's some maybe tension in the shop or something where there's a red flag where you know somebody's going to leave or, you know, that, that, you know, that older tech is maybe looking at trying to retire. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's still shocking to me how many people let that sneak up on them where they'll, (laughs) they're like, Oh my goodness, we have to hire somebody tomorrow because Bill's retiring. Like, well, Bill, Bill's had this in motion for the last five years. It's not like this is a shocking Mm -hmm. thing to anybody. So, you know, I think what happens is time just goes so fast that you just, you, you think you're on top of it and that five years goes by and Bill's retiring and you're like, oh my goodness, like, what am I going to do now? And we see that all the time in shops. And that's, if I were to offer any, any bit of advice to anybody, it's just, that's the part where we see a lot of struggle is people put themselves in a bad spot. Now, the other piece that I thought was extremely beneficial that you talked about is that it allows you to be picky. So when when you're going out and looking for that person, you're finding somebody that fits what you're looking for that can start maybe on a night shift or doing something uh, that really aligns with UPS and with with the shops that you're running. And I, I want to maybe ask you about that part. How how much impact does that have in the quality of hire that you bring in when you're allowed to maybe be picky and see more resumes and see more people interview more people? Well, you know, I mean, it, it obviously it gives me total control, right. To, to be able to make sure I'm selecting the right team because I need to make sure these individuals can come in and be part of the team. And I want it to be a good fit for uh, not only us as a company, but also the individual. Right. So I think I mentioned to you before that, you know, I, I, when I like these interviews to be face to face, by the way, because I like to be able to kind of read the person and just kind of generally, you know, just have a conversation. But I honestly, I try to, to show them and help them see the negatives of the job, what you're going to be dealing with as far as the shift availability, the number of potential years you might be on night, you know, the, the, the shop environment. Like I try and paint a negative picture at first. Right. So there's a process to it for me. So it's not like I'm just negative. Right. I paint a negative picture at first to kind of see their responses. And then that prompts them to ask me questions. Right. And it prompts them to really consider the employment. And then I give them the positive side. Okay, well, if you can deal with all of that, here's what it looks like, you know, for your future and for, you know, employment with UPS. Right. So I I give them both sides of it. And I I feel like it's very, very helpful. I've had numerous individuals over the years that I feel like would be a 100 percent great fit for us. But after further thought, they go home, they talk to their wives, they talk to their kids, and it's just not the right time of their life. You know, they love the pay. They love the benefits. They just can't do the shift that I have, um, you know, and so that's, I'd rather know that going into it. Right. I don't want, again, I don't want to bring somebody in here two months later, three months later, they're like, you know what? I just can't do this. You know, I haven't, I haven't seen, you know, I have, I've, I've worked every Saturday, you know, and I just don't, I don't like my life being turned up upside down, whatever the case may be. Right. So I give them both sides of the coin to make sure that it's a good, it's just my strategy. And I feel like it's worked well for me to be, you know, complete transparent uh, with them as far as what they can expect. I love that approach. I absolutely love that approach because you're being real with them, right? And I think there's a lot of technicians that are maybe not used to that, where maybe they've gone to a a different shop where they were sold the world. And when they got there, it wasn't reality. 
And I think there's a lot of danger in that for, for shops and for our industry, because I think that's when technicians leave, when they start to assume that all shops are the same and, and, and that, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to get anything different because they've been through that a couple of times and, and it puts a bad taste in their mouth. So that's where, you know, the importance for me of getting the best shops to really stand out is such a big deal because we need those good technicians to be in good shops. And, and that's where, when you're being honest with them and almost to a fault, right? Like you're, you're, you're being brutally honest with them and it, it probably pushes some people away. But again, it goes back to the, the stability in the shop, because if you don't have that foundational piece there, you're probably desperate for people and you're trying, you're, you're trying anything you can do to get people in because you've got customers yelling at you or you, you've got drivers yelling at you, whatever it is. And, and I think, I think that's just such a, a cool approach. Yeah. I mean, one of my biggest fears, to be honest with you, is making a desperate hire. You know, I don't want to just put a body in the shop. It's got to be the right body. You know, the wrong person, obviously, it could be an attitude problem or a skill problem, whatever it be. I mean, the, the problems are just, you can't even count them all, right? It's right. innumerable if you put the wrong person out there. So I really want to make sure it's a good fit and hire the right guy because we're going to invest a lot of training, a lot of time in them to teach them the UPS way. And then we're going to turn them free. And then at that point, then I'm just steering, right? I'm just kind of so... You know, it allows us to be picky, but I, I feel like, like what you mentioned, I feel like the technicians are appreciative of the fact that we were that honest with them, you know, because when they come in here, I want them to be that honest with me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And think of the impact that has on your culture too, right? Like that's one thing that I don't, you know, I, I think at times it's a buzzword, but when you really sit down and think about culture and you know, it comes down to, do you like working with the people that you're with? And do you like being there? And do you like coming to work? And, and being able to properly put that puzzle together where you're putting the right pieces in place and maybe getting the people that can complement one another's skill sets. And, you know, I think that's, when we talk destination shop, that's what we're talking about is somebody wanting to come to work and wanting to come in and, and interact with their peers. You know, I think, that the value in communication amongst technicians is is such a big deal and not like gossipy communication, but like just genuinely good communication. People like each other and like being around each other. Mm -hmm. And again, that's a, a big pat on the back to you. How about, do, do they ever come back after a while? Like if you have that, that kind of honest conversation with them and maybe it's not the right time, but you stay in contact with them or, you know, I'm not sure how you approach that side, but do you ever see them come back and, and try to get back into UPS again? Yes, we've seen that. And, you know, I, I only have that so many openings, right? So that's always something that I'm fighting with because, you know, I don't have turnover really to speak of. So I have had people come follow back up and say, hey, you know, this, this got took care of in my life now. I'm available now. You know, my, my daughter graduated or whatever it was that was a holdup. I have had them come back and then I absolutely, you know, I put those notes on the uh, resume and then next time I'm hiring, you know, again, I'm still trying to get the top guy. So the next time I'm hiring, they're in the list, you know, even, even people that turn me down, right? Like even people that for whatever reason, like what you just mentioned, they turn me down. I still hold those resumes because yeah. maybe two years from now, three years from now, I might call that individual. You know, I've done that. I've got an opening that I foresee right now in one of my shops because we're promoting a technician to a supervisor. Right. And so I've still gotten the file from 
way back when, when I was hiring in that shop a couple of years ago. So a couple of those individuals, I'm going to be giving them a call here in the next week or two to see if maybe they're still interested. So good technicians are hard to find, you know, so I, that's why I take the proactive approach. We got, we, we got to do better at getting the right people in the right places. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Now, for those that are out there and they're like, okay, UPS is this gigantic company and, you know, maybe me and my independent shop or me and my small dealership, I can't I can't manage my shop that way. I, I, I think that's maybe the wrong thinking, right? Because I, even with UPS, you're still managing a P&L. You're still trying to get, you, you know, you're still trying to make it a profitable <laughs> part of the business. There's a lot of that that applies to any company, isn't there? Well, without a doubt, yes, because you look at UPS and we're this big, giant company like what you just mentioned. Um, but you have to realize that all of our repair facilities and all of our shops are not Jacksonville, where it's this massive place where I have, you know, 40 technicians on the floor, right? If you think about it, if you want to, you know, in a, in a microcosm type of look, I have shops in Tallahassee. I have shops in Gainesville. I have shops in Daytona, right? I got all these shops. They're small shops. They're a two mechanic shop or a three mechanic shop. I have one shop that is a one mechanic shop, right? So it, to me, it does play out in small shops, large shops. You, there's no reason why you can't take the same approach that I'm trying to take. It, again, it's just being proactive and just always be thinking about, you know, how to fill some of these openings. Do you think there's soft stuff that, that, helps with helps with that retention piece so maybe the stuff that's not in benefits or compensation do, do you think there's some things that work in your favor as to why you have such a, a good retention rate um so what i'm trying to build is a, a team a family right and we drive that home now there's always exceptions to the rules so we're not going to talk about exceptions but so we try and develop that that team family environment, you know? So if I have a, a shop in, you know, we just throw a, a town out there. I have a shop in Gainesville where I have three mechanics. Those guys are probably going to work with each other for 20 years. So we try to foster those relationships. So we want them to get along. You know, we have to step in sometimes as management and say, okay, let's take a step back. Let's look at this differently. You know, we just don't let them fight amongst themselves, right? We are kind of proactive in that and just making sure that we have a happy, productive work group. I think that the technicians also appreciate the way we treat them. You know, if they stay late and they knock out a big uh, engine job one night or something, next time the supervisor is there, you know, we'll buy them, we'll buy them lunch that night or dinner or give them trinkets from time to time. I mean, we try and let them know. I mean, obviously they know we appreciate them because we tell them. But we also do things, you know, we'll throw them some T-shirts. Hey, take this, you know, really appreciate you knocking that out last night. You know, we'll give them water bottles. It's middle of summer. So I'm going to make sure to give you a, you know, a, a nice UPS water bottle that, you know, keep your drink cold, stay hydrated, stay safe. You know, I mean, we, we genuinely care about our employees. So I think that that helps. I mean, obviously the pay and the benefits that goes without question, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's, you, you hit on two points there too. It's, it's telling them that you appreciate them and it's showing them that you appreciate them. And I think those are two mm -hmm. completely separate things and, and both are really, really needed, right? I mean, you, you have to be able to communicate that with them and then actually mm -hmm. it, with your actions show that it's true. Like you do really care about yeah. them. Right. And so one of the things that I talked to the, to the supervisors uh, about, because, you know, they are the ones that really work directly with the technicians. I, 
manage the supervisors now at this point, right? Just so you can kind of understand our structure a little bit. So, yeah. I mean, I do deal with the technicians on a daily basis, stuff like that, but they technically, they report to the supervisors. But anyway, one of the things that I talk about is communication should be often enough that it's not perceived as a negative, right? So, you know, if I have Steve go walk out into the shop to follow up on whatever red tag vehicles we're dealing with at the time, you know, while he's there, I mean, also take the time to ask about the family, ask about, you know, hey, how'd that fishing trip go, whatever, like be personable, be human and make it to where every time you're coming to them, it's not about a problem. I think that's very, very important, you know, yeah. because we're going to come to them about enough problems. You know what I mean? I think it's nice. It kind of, and the first couple of times you do it to a technician that is used to negative coming at him. And the first couple of times you come at him with positive, he's like, he doesn't know what to do with it. <laughs> you are able to break down barriers. And you're able to turn a team around and you're able to get everybody, you know, happy to come to work. One of the things that we've noticed when I get visitors from other areas is there's a lot of comments from those other, whether it's managers or directors or whatever that come from different parts of the country or parts of the state. They're very impressed with our, our shop's morale and our the, the technicians are literally pulling some of these high executives aside and saying, hey, we really like what's going on here. We really appreciate how you guys are doing this or how you're doing that, which is nice to hear. I mean, because, you know, I'm just in the thick of it every day and we're just doing what we do, you know, but it, it's appreciated, you know, and so they're making it known to our higher ups, which is cool. That is really cool. I want to ask you about managing personalities a little bit. And the reason I say that is techs have a, a variety of different personalities, right? And one thing that mm -hmm. I mentioned in a lot of the content that we do is, as an industry, I think we're we're bad at trying to put all technicians into one bucket. And when you really get down and talk to technicians, you learn they have a variety of different interests and personalities. And and sometimes that can be really hard to put together in a shop. And I'm I'm curious to get your take on this, just because when you put a team together, they're likely staying together for a long time. So that I, I imagine mm -hmm. that part's really, really important. It is. It's, it's very important, but you're, you're right. They, they're all different. And so learning how to speak to them, you know, because maybe some guys don't want public recognition, you know, maybe some guys are embarrassed by that or uncomfortable with it. So they would rather you just pull them aside and say, hey, great job. You know, maybe some guys really do like public recognition. So obviously you want to capitalize on that. Give it to them, you know, um, looking at you've got guys that are kind of natural leaders, right? So you kind of put them in a leadership role. So I give them tasks or assignments that kind of put them in direct contact with other technicians to help drive whatever it is that I'm trying to drive that day. Right. So just, again, I mean, just learning their personalities and you have to know who they are to do that. Right. You got to know their name. You kind of got to know what their interests are. You got to know what makes them tick. Right. And that's just through talking to your employees, you know, instead of them being a number, their people. So once you learn that, then you can learn how to attack the situation and know how to communicate with the people because it's really it's just communication, you know. And so figuring out what uh, language that person wants you to speak to them per se, right, is the is the key to me. How do you manage that that part where you you mark somebody that has leadership potential, and maybe there's somebody that's been there a lot longer that thinks that they have leadership potential, but maybe doesn't have that, you know, maybe that factor 
I, I know with technicians, a lot of times they'll get really, really good at managing this, like what's directly in mm -hmm. front of them. But being able to lead a team and and being able to manage those personalities is a completely different skill set. It's very, very difficult. How do you yeah. how, how do you communicate with that that individual that you know might not have that skill set, uh, but maybe thinks that they do, if that makes sense? Yeah, that's kind of a tough one. You know, I mean, we do have those. The larger the shop, the more personalities you're dealing with, and also the more potential problems you're dealing with. That plays a factor, right? But I feel like it's probably more helpful to find something that you can kind of pivot them to, you know, like if they think they're really good at X, Y, Z and they're not, then I would want to try and find a way to pivot them towards something that is more in their wheelhouse. Or I would like to put somebody with them that can help them get better at X, Y, Z, Yes. you know, so it's either or, you know, I mean, there's no, you can't write it in a book on how to handle the situation. It's just, you, you got to feel it and be in it and think it through, you know, because management supervision, our actions, you know, they can have a, a negative effect if we're not careful. So we, yeah. we do want to think through what we say, what we do. But again, again, at the end of the day, it's all about getting this whole team to be, you know, headed in the right direction. So that's a tough, that's a tough one to, to give you a dead answer on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I intentionally kind of left that a little vague because it is, I think there's so many scenarios that shop managers run into with that exact, you know, that exact thing happening. And, mm -hmm. you know, one thing that I, I always thought was important was catching it early. And when I say that, if, you know, in your hiring process, if somebody states that they, they want leadership responsibilities or that they aspire to go there, being able to, to have that relationship with them early on, so that you can help, you know, help nurture them. Or if you've got a strong enough relationship, I think that goes a long ways when you sit down and have that conversation with them about, you know, maybe this isn't the path for you. And if you're able to talk to them about, you know, what what are you really good at? Well, I'm really good at this. Okay, well, that might lead in a different direction. So I love what you said there about having the ability to pivot a little bit and be able to be flexible with them. Because, you know, I think when that doesn't happen, what I guess from my experience is that that's where a lot of technicians will leave your shop too, is where if, if you're, you know, if they just think that, okay, they said, I don't have leadership potential. They don't know what they're talking about. I, you know, I'm out of here. I, I, I feel like I see that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to, if I, in that situation that you're kind of spelling out, I want to be able to give that individual a path, right? So I want to help them develop themselves or help them pivot to something that would be better suited for them, you know, because maybe they don't see themselves clearly, possibly, who knows, you know, it's, it's one of those situations that you got to feel out and handle very kid glovey because you want to maintain that good, positive relationship. I don't want to see one of my technicians leave for any reason. Now, when it comes to advancement from like a technician to management, right? Well, the door's wide open. And I love telling people about this, right? Because I already told you about my story, you know, and how I kind of came up. There's no better example or calling card than what I did. I mean, you guys can be on the floor as a technician and decide you want to take it further. Us as a company, we're going to give you that opportunity, you know, um, for the right individuals. We're not going to just put anybody in there, but you know, there's, there's some interviews, there's some testing, stuff like that to make sure you're capable of doing what we need you to do. But you know, honestly, the one of the things that I like to, to tell people uh, when I interview is I kind of give them my story. I don't tell them all the way back to high school, right? But I tell them, hey, 
I was a technician on the floor for 23 years, right? Like I know the job and here I'm sitting now, right? So there is that opportunity. But then I also like to let them know that, I mean, the very top of our company on the automotive side, some of the highest, you know, big wigs per se or corporate folks out there, they started on the floor as technicians. They really did. And now they are in the position to make great change for the company, to make great decisions for technicians on the floor, right? So the sky's the limit. It really is for the right driven individual. Yeah, which I think is a, a huge, huge benefit for, for anybody going to work for you. You know, I think that's what a lot of technicians want. They they want to have that next step, especially young technicians. It feels like they want to have an idea of where, uh, you know, that career path is going to lead them. And and so I, I think that's great. Now, how how do you one thing I'm curious with with the amount of technicians, mechanics that you manage how do you manage the training side of this, right? So like understanding if somebody wants further training or, you know, obviously being able to to budget out how that works or, or who you're sending where, that, that's a big job. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. Is, is that something that falls on your shoulders? And, and if so, like, how do you, how do you, how do you manage it? It does. And I mean, <laughs> It's kind of an easy approach with us being UPS, but I mean, I, I'm going to give them all the training, right? So if, for example, we've got a new training coming out on one of the GM platforms that's coming out here shortly. I just got the notification on it yesterday. So every one of my package technicians are going to get that training. It's not really like, so we pay for all the training. They do it on the clock. In today's day and age, a lot of it almost all of it anymore is Zoom. We do have corporate trainers that used to go out quite a bit and we would do hands-on, but with COVID, obviously that's kind of been on pause lately, but we'll get that program going back up. But every one of my package technicians that works on that type of equipment is going to get the training. That's just the bottom line. It's, it's, it's training is of the utmost importance. You know, we really believe that. Another thing that I will do is if I have a technician that is struggling on you know, maybe he's, maybe he's struggling with drivability diagnostics, check engine lights, things of that nature. He's struggling. I will pair him with somebody that is actually a senior technician that knows it like the back of their hand. And I will give them the time to where they're kind of paired together. And so they can kind of work together, even if it's on other shifts. I've even moved people's shifts before. So I've got night guys, you know, that maybe they are not sure how to run the overhead on a, on a tractor or something like that because they just went the tractors. Uh, so I got to get them trained up to where they're with the rest of the group. So I have brought up the days before and put them with the right technicians so they get the right training, so they get that good hands-on training. But then we have a ton of, we call them LMSs, but learning, online learning courses that everybody's required to take. And so we kind of take an all approach. If, if you're working on package cars, you're going to get XYZ training. That's just that's just what's going to happen. How how important is patience when you're managing technicians? And when I say people make mistakes, people screw up, mm-hmm. how important is it for a manager to be patient? Very, very important. Very important. I would rather, I mean, patience goes in, like to me, it's hand in hand, but like honesty is a big thing for me. So if the technician's honest with me, I can now work through the situation, you know, and, you know, it's, it's always a learning curve, you know, people make dumb mistakes sometimes. We've all done it, right? So we have the patience, we have training. If I, if, if through certain situations, I realize somebody needs more training, I'm going to give them more training. I'm going to give them more uh, time with a supervisor. I'll give them whatever they need to help them get better. Um, 
but yeah, patients, we, I like to think we have a lot of patients here. You know, we, we, it's all about getting better. It's all about getting the packages to the customers. That's our utmost importance. So, you know, you know, we'll, we'll give the guys a pass on something. We'll have a talk with them. We'll sit them down and bring them in the office. They listen, do you understand? You know, and we'll kind of walk through, okay, what could you have done better? Like we will, we will have conversations like that, but I try to make sure that most of them are positive interactions on how do we get better and not do this again? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And, And I think, again, this kind of goes full circle because I think that's what leads to some of the stability in your shop as well. Right. Because I see a lot of shops I'm sure you have over your time where if you've got a manager with a quick fuse that, won't put up with any mistakes, they tend to have more turnover. It feels that way anyways, right? Yeah, you do. And then in a big fleet environment like what we're in, I'm not sure if the if the dealerships would see this as much, but in a fleet environment like we are, if you turn a shop against a particular supervisor or manager to where these guys literally lost respect for this person or refuse to work for this person, it's not like they're going to stop working but they're not going to go that extra mile for you. And I, I believe it with 100%, these technicians on the floor will either make us or break us, right? They they can do magic that you didn't think was possible if they believe in your dream and if they believe in we're all going to succeed together. Now, if you go down there and you're just always yelling at them and you're treating them poorly, they can do the bare minimum to get by and watch you sink. So, you know, it's 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 a relationship. You know, I mean, yeah, we're the employer, but it's also a relationship. I want them to to have just as much uh, dog in the fight as I do. I, I love that. And I, I think it's such an important point to land home with everybody that that is a relationship. And the more you look at it through the long term view, I think the average stay of, of employment for a millennial right now is like four years. And so for you to have all of these extended, I don't care what your be- your benefits are, what your pay is. I've seen some of these companies that have a lot of really, really good things to offer that still have high turnover. And so I, I think what you're doing down there in Florida and and what you're what you're implementing, one, it stems from you being a technician. You've been in those shoes before. You you know the ups and downs that technicians go through, and you know anything from you know, if, if you screw up a diag, it can, it can eat a good tech alive. Like in, in the most confident person in the world can all of a sudden be knocked down a bunch of notches and really get down on themselves, depending on their personality and being able to look for those things and being able to, you know, identify if maybe they're going through a family issue or they've got some personal things going on that are impacting their work and not judging them based on that little that little amount of time, but really taking a holistic view of, okay, this person's been doing a really good job with us for a long time and suddenly fell off. You know, hopefully that's raising a red flag to you people out there to, to say, hey, we need to have a broader conversation and just make sure everything's okay with them at home. Yep. Yep. And, you know, on the UPS side of things, we have a point employee assistance program, stuff like that. So if they need, you know, if they need some counseling or they need whatever, it's totally, you know, an anonymous thing, but we can give them a phone number to contact, right? If it rises above something that I can't help with. But if it's something I can help with, where sometimes maybe I have to modify somebody's work schedule so they can handle whatever with the family situation, whatever that happens to be, you know, we try to understand that like life happens to us. And so, 
again, the relationship, that's the biggest part to me. That's the kind of the takeaway, the relationship with the employees. If you know your employees, you know their name, you know their wife's name, you know that their kid's fixing to graduate high school or their little son's playing or, you know, doing BMX tournaments, whatever it is, like knowing that information is, is, is super helpful. You know, they will come knock on the door and they'll just sit down and tell you, hey, this just happened, you know, and then I cannot tell you how many times I've had guys cry in my office, which is, you know, it's kind of a leveling kind of a situation, you know, but not cry because I got, I disciplined over this. I'm saying like on the home front, they come and tell you something, close the door and literally just break down, start crying about something, you know, but I don't believe they would do that if we were not approachable. Yes. You know, if so, you know, it's, it's relations, it's relationships. Well, that tells you everything you need to know about management right there, I think, is like if somebody feels that comfortable with you and they've been carrying that on their shoulders for that long, that when they come into your office, shut the door, that it just all comes out. I I, I think that shows a lot. I mean, I think that that shows that they trust you because they they trust that you're not going to go tell all the people on the floor like they they trust that, you know, what you're talking about stays in that room. And, you know, you talked about honesty and I think that trust piece is so big too, that, you know, when they're, when they're fighting their tail off for you, they're doing it for the right person because they, that person cares about them. And I don't think there's any, any bigger value than that. Like, I I think that is, that is the, from a technician's shoes and their standpoint, that's what you're fighting for right there. Yes, sir. Well, this is good stuff. I, I feel like we could just keep going on and on and on and stuff. And I, you know, I, I, I do really value the way that you manage the shops because I think that there's a lot of things we talked about over the course of this podcast that a, a lot of the people listening to this podcast could, could use and, and use these, you know, maybe not even best practices, but just different things that you can tweak uh, to to try and build that st- that stable environment, that stable shop, so that you are able to forecast, and that you're uh, you know being able to forecast then allows you to be pick the type of person you're going to bring into your shop, and not just hiring because the house is on fire and you get, you you got to get somebody in there. So, mm-hmm. I think the way that you've walked us through this today is brilliant. I I, I think this is this is just gold this this entire podcast i think is is just great i think it's one of the best podcasts we've done so a lot of credit to you and and everything that you're building down there in florida yeah i appreciate it jay yeah i mean the the biggest thing again the takeaway for me is just being proactive i don't want to wait till i have a need and hope somebody brings me an employee like i don't I can be proactive and I can kind of change my, my future through that. Now it takes time. None of this is done overnight. You're not going to turn a shop around. You're not going to build this great team in a month or six months. It's going to take time, you know, but absolutely the team building is, is very, very big for us. So yeah, I mean, I've appreciated it, Jay. I, I love talking to you. Yeah. I, same here. I, I, I appreciate it. I hope you'll come back on the show at some point down the road and, and based on our conversations prior to the podcast, I'm guessing we have a dozen other topics that we could dive really deep into. So we'll, we'll definitely have to have you back on. Sounds good, Jay.